Chapter Thirty of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolf Hungerford. Chapter Thirty. Oh, there's stony a leaf in athol wood and mony a bird in its breast and mony a pain may the heart sustain ere it sab itself to rest barbara meets her on the threshold and draws her with loving arms into the dining-room i knew you would be here at this hour lady baltimore wrote me word about it and I have sent the chicks away to play in the garden, as I thought you would like to have a comfortable chat just at first. Lady Baltimore wrote? Yes, dear, just to say you were distressed about that unfortunate affair, that drive, you know, and that you felt you wanted to come back to me. I was glad you wanted that, darling. You are not angry with me, Barbara? asked the girl loosening her sister's arms the better to see her face angry no how could i be angry said mrs monkton the more vehemently in that she knows she had been very angry just at first it was the merest chance it might have happened to anybody one can't control storms no that's what mrs connolly said only she called it the eliminates says joyce with quite a little ghost of a smile well now you are home again and it is all behind you and there is really nothing in it and you must not think so much about it says barbara fondling her hand lady baltimore says you are too unhappy about it did she say that what else did she say asked the girl regarding her sister with searching eyes what had lady baltimore told her that impulsive admission to the latter last night had been troubling joyce ever since and now to have lay bare her heart again to acknowledge her seeming fickleness to receive barbara's congratulation on it only to declare that this second lover has too been placed by fate outside her life seems too bitter to her oh no she cannot tell barbara why nothing says mrs monkton who is now busying herself removing the girl's hat and furs what was there to tell after all she is plainly determined to treat the matter lightly oh there is a good deal says joyce bitterly why don't you tell me turning suddenly upon her sister that you knew how it would be all along, that you distrusted that Mr. Beauclerk from the very first, and that Felix Dysart was always worth a thousand of him. There is something that is almost defiant in her manner. Because, for one thing, I very seldom call him Felix, says Mrs. Monkton, with a smile, alluding to the last accusation, and because, too, I can't bear the I-told-you-so persons. You mustn't class me with them, Joyce, whatever you do. I shan't be able to do much more, at all events, 
says joyce presently that's one comfort not only for myself but for my family i expect i have excelled myself this time well with a dull little laugh it will have to last so joyce says her sister quickly tell me one small thing mr beauclerk he yes stonily as barbara goes on a rock you you are not engaged to him joyce breaks into an angry laugh that is what you all ask says she there is no variety none no 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 i am engaged to nobody nobody wants me and i i care for nobody not i for nobody cares for me mark the heavy emphasis on the four i beg you barbara she breaks entirely from her sister's hold and springs to her feet you are tired says mrs monkton anxiously rising too why don't you say what you really mean says joyce turning almost fiercely to her why pretend you think i am fatigued when you honestly think i am miserable because mr beauclerk has not asked me to marry him no i don't care what you think i am miserable and though i were to tell you over and over again it was not because of him you would not believe me so i will say nothing here is freddy says mrs monkton nervously who has just seen her husband's head pass the window he enters the room almost as she speaks well joyce back again says he affectionately he kisses the girl warmly horrid drive you must have had through that storm you too blame the storm then and not me says joyce with a smile everybody doesn't take your view of it it appears i should have returned in all that rain and wind and pshaw never listen to extremists says mr monkton sinking lazily into the chair they will land you on all sorts of barren coasts if you give ear to them for my part i never could see why two people of opposite sexes if overcome by nature's artillery should not spend a night under a wayside inn without calling down upon them the social artillery of gossip there is only one thing in the whole affair says mr monkton seriously that has given me a moment's uneasiness and that says joyce nervously is how i can possibly be second to both of them dysart i confess has my sympathies but if beauclerk were to appear first upon the field and implore my assistance i feel i should have a delicacy about refusing him freddy says his wife reprovingly oh as for that says joyce with a frown i do think men are the most troublesome things on earth she burst out presently when one isn't loving them one is hating them how many of them at a time asked her brother-in-law with deep interest not more than two joyce please i couldn't grasp any more my intellect is of a very limited order so is mine i think says joyce with a little tired sigh monkton although determined to treat the matter lightly looks very sorry for her evidently she is out of joint with the whole world at present 
how did lady baltimore take it asked he with all the careless air of one asking a question on some unimportant subject she was angry with mr beauclerk for not leaving me at the inn and coming home himself unsisterly woman she was quite right after all said mrs monkton who had defended beauclerk herself but cannot bear to hear another take his part and dysart how did he take it asked monkton smiling i don't see how he should take it anyway says joyce coldly not even with soda-water says his says her brother-in-law of course it would be too much to expect him to take it neat you broke it gently to him i hope ah you don't understand mr dysart says the girl rising abruptly i did not understand him until yesterday so he is very abstruse he is very insolent says miss kavanagh with a sudden touch of fire that makes her sister look at her with some uneasiness i see says mr monkton slowly he still unfortunately looks amused one does not know anybody until he or she gives way to a towering passion so he gave you a right good scolding for being caught in the rain with beauclerk a little unreasonable surely but lovers never yet were famous for their common sense that little ingredient was forgotten in their composition and so he gave you a lecture well he was not likely to do it again says she slowly no then it is more than likely than i shall be the one to be scolded presently he won't be able to content himself with silence he will want to air his grievances to revenge them on some one and if you refuse to see him i shall be that one there is really only one shall small remark to be made about this whole matter said mr monkton with a rueful smile and it remains for me to make it if you will encourage two suitors at the same time my good child the least you may expect is trouble you are bound to look out for breakers ahead but and this is the remark it is very hard lines for a fourth and most innocent person to have those suitors dropped straight on him without a second's notice i am not a born warrior the brunt of the battle is a sort of gaiety that i confess myself unsuited for i haven't been educated up to it i there will be no battle says joyce in a strange tone because there will be no combatants for a battle there must be something to fight for and here there is nothing you are all wrong freddy you will find out that after a while i have a headache barbara i think raising her lovely but pained eyes to her sister i should like to go into the garden for a little bit the air there is always so sweet go darling says barbara whose own eyes have filled with tears oh freddy turning reproachfully to her husband as the door closes on joyce how could you so have taken her you must have seen how unhappy she was and all about that horrid beauclerk 
Monkton stares at her. So that is how you read it, says he at last. There is no difficulty about the reading. Could it be in larger print? Large enough, certainly, as to the unhappiness, but for Beauclerc, I should advise the printer to insert Dysart. Dysart? Felix? Unless, indeed, you could suggest a third. Nonsense, says Mrs. Monkton, contemptuously. She has never cared for poor Felix. How I wish she had. He is worth a thousand of the other, but the girls are so perverse. They are. That is just my point, says her husband. Joyce is so perverse that she won't allow herself to see that it is Dysart she preferred. However, there is one comfort. She is paying for her perversity. Freddy, says his wife after a long pause, do you really think that? What? The girls are perverse? No, no, that she likes Felix best. That is indeed my fixed belief. Oh, Freddy, cries his wife, throwing herself into his arms. How beautiful of you. I've always wanted to think that, but never could until now. Now that my clear judgment has been brought to bear upon it. Quite right, my dear. Always regard your husband as sort of demigod, who, poof, says she, do you think I was born without a grain of sense? But really, Freddy, oh, if it might be, poor, poor darling, how sad she looked. If they have had a serious quarrel over the drive with that detestable Beauclerc, why, I, here she burst into tears, and with her face buried on Monkton's waistcoat, makes little wild dabs at the air with a right hand that is only to be appeased by having Monkton's handkerchief thrust into it. What a baby you are, says he, giving her a loving little shake. I declare, you were well named. The swift transitions from the tremendous Barbara to the inconsequent baby takes but an instant, and exactly expresses you. A moment ago you are bent on withering me. Now I am going to wither you. Oh, no, don't, says she, half laughing, half crying. And besides, it is you who are inconsequent. You never keep to one point for a second. Why should I, says he, when it is such a disagreeable one? There let us give up for the day. We can write to be continued after it and begin a fresh chapter to-morrow. Meantime, Joyce making her way to the garden with the hope of finding there, at all events, silence, an opportunity for thought, seats herself upon a garden chair, and gives herself up a willing prey to melancholy. She has desired to struggle against this evil, but it has conquered her, and tears rising beneath her lids are falling on her cheeks, when two small creatures emerging from the summer house on her left catch sight of her. They had been preparing for a rush, a real redshank, painted and feathered, descent upon her, when something in her sorrowful attitude becomes known to them. Fun dies within their kind little hearts. 
their joyce has come home to them that is a matter for joy but their joyce has come home unhappy that is a matter for grief step by step hand in hand they approach her and even at the very last with their little breasts overflowing with the delight of getting her back it is with a very gentle precipitation that they throw themselves upon her and it never occurs to them either to trouble her for an explanation no probing questions issue from their lips she is sorry that is all it is enough for their sympathies too much joyce herself is hardly aware of the advent of the little comforters until two small arms steal around her neck and she finds mabel's face pressed close against her own let me kiss her too says tommy trying to brush his sister away and resenting openly the fact of her having secured the first attempt at consolation you mustn't tease her she's sorry she's very sorry about something says mabel turning up joyce's face with her pink palm aren't you joyce there's droppies in your eye a little darling says joyce brokenly then i'll be sorry with you says the child with all childhood's divine intuition that to sorrow alone is to know a double sorrow she hugs joyce more closely with her tender arms and joyce after a battle with her braver self gives way and breaks into bitter tears there now you've made her cry right out you're a naughty girl says tommy to his sister in a raging tone meant to hide the fact that he too himself is on the point of giving way in fact another moment sees him dissolved in tears never mind joycey never mind we love you sobs he getting up on the back of the seat behind her and making a very excellent attempt at strangulation do you there doesn't seem to be any one else then but you says poor joyce dropping mabel onto her lap and tommy more to the front and clasping them both to her with a little convulsive movement perhaps the good cry she has on top of those two loving little heads does her more good than anything else could possibly have done end of chapter thirty recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c